0: Hey, good morning. Uh, already, good morning. I'm very encouraged and uh, happy to come and share with you guys. Um, I've been a Christian for 30 years, and uh, I have grown the most in accountable relationships with other men. Uh, I deeply believe in men's ministry, and I've always been a part of it. I showed up at Discovery Church in town here in 1990 as a brand-new Christian, and I went through the lobby. There was an elder there. His name was David Wallach. How many of you know, love and know David Wallach? Yeah. All right, not as many as I thought, but you all love him. I know that. If you know him, you love him. I walked up to this big giant man, and I said, "Hey, I'm I'm new to Orlando. It's my maybe second or third time at the church, and could we uh, get together? Would love to just get to know you." And I was just I didn't I hadn't even read the Bible yet. I just was getting going in my faith in Jesus, and he said, "Absolutely, I'll meet you at four in the morning at Denny's." And I walked out, going, "What have I gotten myself into?" Right. And I won't tell you the rest of that story, but David to this day is a close friend. We've walked through thrills and joys in our lives. We've walked through tough times together. It's relationships with other men who are genuinely pursuing a walk with Jesus that's made a huge difference in my life. Sunday mornings matter. They're important, but it's not, it's not the only thing that's available for growth, right? Uh, also, just want to tell you guys briefly, this is my first time to Iron Man, and I'm so grateful for, to David and, and all of you that do this uh, because of what I just said, it makes such a difference. Uh, but this is my first time here. I live a mile away. And the reason I'm not here uh, on Friday mornings is because uh, it's the only morning of the week where I'm home with my kids when they're getting ready for school. And then our youngest daughter, who's 13, I take her to tutoring down at the, down by the airport to a tutor with some learning disabilities and issues that she has. So uh, I, I just want you guys to know that there's not a, you know, I'm not here because of that. And I think that's part of what I've learned over 30 years is you prioritize and you don't have to be at everything because the Holy Spirit's at everything, right? So I just want you guys to know that. Let me add my prayer to the morning, then I'll, I'll share for a few minutes. God, I'm grateful for your presence and your care over us. I pray for each man here this morning. Lord, some have come in with their hearts full and uh, they're, they're, they're walking with you and they've got clarity and purpose. God, I pray that you would continue to strengthen them as iron men of God. Father, maybe others have come in this morning uh, a little less sure of who they are and where they're supposed to go next. Maybe there's some uh, just tremendous challenges even behind the the scenes that nobody really knows about, and they're wrestling, and they're just talking to you about it. I pray they'd be encouraged this morning. pray that they'd see your purposes more clearly, that they'd see your kingdom more clearly. Father, may each and every one of us rise up to the image of who you've made us as redeemed men in Christ, and I pray that in Christ's name. Amen. 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 So, I love the book of Ecclesiastes that you guys are going through, and I'll uh, just kind of jump off Ecclesiastes chapter 10, just a couple of the verses uh, in, in just a moment, but uh, when I was uh, a young uh, person, I uh, just got out of college, uh, my dreams came true. Like, my biggest dreams came true, and what was interesting was I found it to be empty, and I was wrestling with that, and along the way I was reading everything I could read about Eastern religion, self-help, I was just searching in the midst of that, I read the book of Ecclesiastes as a person in my young 20s, and it absolutely blew me away. I mean, it just profoundly uh, challenged my thinking at that time in my life. Uh, reading the book of Ecclesiastes didn't you know, directly lead me to faith in Jesus, but it was there, and I remember how much it impacted me. At 24 years old, I did come to faith in Jesus, so if you're doing the math, 24 plus 30, I'm 27 now, so, you know, you guys, if you're not, you know, it's early in the morning, let me do the math for you, okay? Yeah, you get it. Yeah, Alabama, okay. I didn't say it, I just repeated it, okay? So... um, So I did come to to faith in Christ. So let me let me go back, tell you a little bit of my story, and we'll we'll jump in a little bit of Ecclesiastes. Uh, I grew up in New York on Long Island. Uh, My my home life was not good. Uh, It wasn't the worst ever, and I'm I'm healed from it, and Jesus has done that in me. But I did have a bad uh, upbringing. My dad was a violent alcoholic. My parents got divorced when I was 14. There was never a peaceful day in our home. The police were at our house. I remember the police bringing my dad out in handcuffs one night and trying to process all that as a little kid you know all, all that was a part of going into the makeup of who i am um, and God's used it and and again healed and all that kind of stuff but i say that just to say that when i got to my senior year in high school uh, both parents were pretty absent and i went a little bit uh, off the rails started drinking too much had a friend who we started breaking and entering and to make a long story short i got arrested here's what happened i was at a golf course my local golf course where I played high school golf and so it was a public course. There was a restaurant connected to the pro shop and then above the pro shop was a storage room where the golf professional stored all of his golf balls and equipment and outside there was a a black stairwell, I can still see it, about 20, 25 steps up to a door up on the second floor. So long story short, my friend and I premeditated, parked a mile away, came on the property, one in the morning, ski masks and everything, went up there, stole all the golf balls and got arrested, so way to go, Ralph, way to go, buddy, right? So with that, let me read Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verses 1 through 3. Solomon says this, as dead flies give perfume a bad smell, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. The heart of the wise inclines to the right, but the heart of the fool to the left. Even as fools walk along the road, uh, they lack sense and show everyone how stupid they are. Don 't you love god 's word don't you love it you know god 's word's amazing it's transformed my life, but there's there's nothing that's cut me deeper than the truth of the Word of God, but sometimes you know we just the, the the most refreshing and healthy thing we can do is receive the Word of God with humility and allow it to to do its work in us because I have to be honest at that season of my life um, these verses perfectly represent who I was. I was a fool and I was stupid right and I can Blame, oh, upbring all this no, I take responsibility as things I did, as my sin has separated me from God, and I need a savior. I didn't know that at that time, I was still trying to figure that out or you know come to that reality um, so. At that time in my life, I was a star athlete, captain of the football team, basketball team, golf team. You won't believe this, I was the prom king and the homecoming king. I got a trophy for being the prom king, uh, and I put it on my wife's bedstand one time just to remind her, hey, you, you, you married the prom king, you know? Yeah. yeah, some of you know my wife, so uh, you're laughing harder than everybody else, because you know how she probably took that, right? Um, I had good grades. Uh, anybody at that season of my life, senior in high school, would have said, Ralph's a really good guy. But you know what? You're trying to make perfume, and one dead fly in the, in the thing ruins the whole thing. I destroyed my whole reputation. You know, I, I've been 30, 35 years out of high school. Um, my reputation senior year in high school was, oh, he's the guy that went off the deep end. Just blew it, right? So. All that, I'm going to tie that up and come back to that in a minute, so I didn't just share that to be self-deprecating. That's not the point. Um, So Solomon, here's our author, right? And uh, each month you've been looking at a different chapter in Ecclesiastes. Solomon's, you know, king of Israel, and uh, so much is said and written about him. Let me read you something in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy was recorded, God spoke to Moses many hundreds of years before Solomon's reign, And God said this to Moses in Deuteronomy 17. He said, one day Israel's going to want a king. And when there's a king, I have instructions for that king. And here's what he said, Deuteronomy 17, uh, verses 16 and following. Here's what God says about the future kings of Israel. He must not acquire uh, many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. So three commands there, right? And, the you know, the women represent lust, right? The, you know, the the, the horses represent power. That was military might. And obviously the gold represents wealth. And God was saying the king's got to keep all those things in check in his heart. And then God says this, And whenever this king sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests. And it shall be with him and he shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words uh, of this law and these statutes. You see what he said? It's what's already been said this morning. If you you want to know the right way and walk in the right way, we've got to to have God's uh, God's word with us every day. (coughs) And God's word is filled with instruction for right living. It's filled with wisdom and for the ways to go and to prosper and have meaning in life. And God said, listen, the king, when you get a king, he's going to be tempted by many things because he's the king. And he needs to take my word, no horses from Egypt, not many women, no gold, because I know that those things will bring the king down. And that king needs to write in his own hand, these commands that I've given him, he needs to keep it in his pocket, and he needs to read it every single day of his life that he sits on the throne. Does anybody know the story of Solomon? <laughs> oh, man, you guys are, some are laughing, some are about to cry, right? I'll, just a couple snapshots of the reign of Solomon, First Kings 11. It so says Solomon had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. His wives led him astray. God knew it. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord. Isn't that tragic? If he had done what God had said, if he had kept God's instructions and found one wife for life to be committed to, he wouldn't have had that issue. Here's what 1 Kings 10 says Solomon's horses were imported from Egypt. What? Isn't that unbelievable? wasn't supposed to have horses, especially not from Egypt. Solomon's horses were imported from Egypt. The royal merchants purchased, uh, you know, them at the current price. They imported chariots from Egypt uh, for 600 shekels of silver each, and each horse for 150. And then 1 Kings 4 said that Solomon had 4,000 stalls for chariots and 12,000 horses. How's Solomon doing? He's 0 for 2. He's 0 for 2. 2 Chronicles 9.13 says this, Every year King Solomon received over 25 tons of gold. Isn't that amazing? God said three things to the future kings of Israel, to Moses in Deuteronomy, because he understood the challenges that a king would face. Power, lust, and wealth. And he said, don't acquire these things for yourself. And listen, please keep it with you and read it every day. Guys, keep God's Word with you and read it every day. It'll, it'll instruct your path. It'll instruct your path. Solomon failed because he did not obey the commandments. It's true for us as well. God's Word is filled with life-giving instruction. And as you start to apply it to your life, you see incredible change take place. When I got arrested, I was 18 years old. I spent one night in prison and, you know, um, you know, the police kind of knew our family because my dad had been there multiple times, you know. And But one of the, Most horrifying things in my life was my dad picking me up to get me out of jail the next day. That was not a good day, right? Mm -hmm. So I was just getting ready to go to college, and I was in New York, and I came down to Florida Southern in Lakeland uh, to go to college. I was drinking way too much through my college years. I remember after one particularly uh, rowdy party and waking up very hungover, I remember just looking in the mirror, and the thought just hit me, is this alcohol thing going to swallow me too? I just had the most sobering, and, and a little bit of fear went into me. I was like, I'm drinking too much, and I see what it's done to my dad. Is this, gonna, is this my thing, too? You know, I remember having those thoughts as a 19, 20, 21-year-old, processing life, just lost, acting like a fool, didn't yet have God's word to hide it in my heart and to read it every day to instruct me and give me direction. Right? I was going back and forth multiple times from Florida my freshman year back to go to court in New York, uh, for what I had done, and that was not fun. Um, but in the midst of that, something that was really good in my life was the game of golf. I excelled in the game of golf. I fell in love with golf in 1978. I uh, watched Jack Nicklaus, my golf hero, win the British Open at St. Andrews over in Scotland, fell in love with the course and the game, and I said, man, I want to make my life uh, about playing golf. And uh, so I pursued that, and just to just to just to go through this really quick... Um, you know, I, I played well, I, I got, to, got through my college uh, career and I won a national championship called the United States Public Links Championship, got me an invitation to play in the Masters. Uh, I was a low amateur at the Masters, that was a thrill. I played Augusta National 28 times, so if you're not a golfer, you don't care, and if you're a golfer, you go, ooh, that's pretty cool, right? Has anybody been to Augusta? Who's, who's been there? It's, it's one of the few places you see on TV that when you get there, it's more spectacular. Like it doesn't let you down, it's amazing. Uh, I got in the first tee, and this is 30 years ago, so you guys understand. Um, But I play with two of the top 10 players in the world in the first practice round on Monday morning. I play with Ray Floyd and Andy Bean, right? So if you know golf, you know these are superstars. And I'm a 24-year-old kid, and I'm scared out of my mind. And there's 2,000 people around the first hole watching what they think are the best 90 players in the world, right? So I tee my ball up and my hand is shaking, and there's 2,000 people watching me. Ray Floyd's there, Andy Bean is there. Andy Bean walks over to me. He's big, six foot four, big deep voice. He says, Ralph, you look kind of nervous. I was like, Andy, you're a genius, man. How'd you figure that out, you know? And he said, Here's what you do, Ralph. Just relax your shoulders and just swing as hard as you can. He said, That's all you have to do. You'll do grass. Oh, it's good advice. So I get up and I relax my shoulders, swung as hard as I could. I'm left handed, by the way. So I swung as hard as I could and I topped it. Now, if you don't know golf, that means I rolled it on the ground. And I'm not exaggerating. 2,000 people are there to see the best 90 golfers in the world, and I topped it. I didn't just top it. I hit it off the heel, and it shot into the crowd. It was like a pinball machine bouncing off people's legs, right? I got 2,000 people to say the same thing at the same time. Ooh. Right? And I was scared out of my mind. But I, I, this is, the point is not to tell all those stories, but just to say, that was a thrill. I ended up being the low amateur at the Masters, uh, which, was a, which was an honor and a thrill. And I look back at that, and I'm grateful that that happened. Uh, I went from there. I uh, got an invitation to play in the Colonial Invitational. I met Ben Hogan there. Again, if you're a golfer, you understand what that means. And uh, from there, I went to play in a world amateur event at none other than the old course of St. Andrews, which in 1978, I had watched that course, and I'd always dreamed and wrote down goals, I'm going to play there someday. And I didn't win it, but I played well enough to be in an award ceremony on the steps of the Royal and Ancient, and, and I'm saying this just to say, like, when I say my dreams were coming true, my dreams were coming true. I finished off that summer by representing the United States in the Walker Cup, uh, uh, which is, uh, you know, uh, United States against uh, Great Britain and Ireland. Phil Mickelson was my teammate. Uh, we're both left-handed, so they thought it'd be fun to put us together. Again, if you don't know golf, Phil Mickelson's a decent golfer, <laughs> right? And, So I played a lot of golf with Phil Mickelson at that time in my life. We were two lefties, amateur world. We got paired everywhere we went. And so we were partners. So we did alternate shot. So I'd hit the tee shot in the woods. He'd go find it, hit it on the green. I'd miss the putt. He'd get mad at me. That's kind of how it went, right? Um, But I had these amazing experiences. Uh, I finished that experience, and um, I turned professional. And a sponsor signed a contract, gave me $140,000, bought me a brand-new car. And my part of the deal was I had to travel the world and play golf pretty good deal, right? Not bad for a kid from Long Island, all that stuff, right? So here's why I tell you that whole story. September 1989, I'm in New York getting ready to drive down here to Florida to start my professional career with more money than I thought I'd ever see in the bank with a really nice new car. And I sat up on my left elbow, 7.30 in the morning, looked at my clock, and I thought, man, I'm so empty. (coughs) I had a hole in my stomach like the size of the Grand Canyon. And I recognize, even at 24 years old, I got a big problem. Because my wildest fantasies and dreams have come true and I'm not happy. So happiness doesn't rest in circumstances. Where, do, where am I gonna find it? And I read the book of Ecclesiastes in that season of my life and it just blew me away. The clarity and the profound reality of what that book had to say. I called a friend when I got to Florida, was a Christian, always witnessed to me in college. I always made fun of him, um, but he was the guy I called. So if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus and you witness to people, don't, don't ever think you're not planting seeds. Because this guy witnessed to me uh, for four years in college. I'd make fun of him. I'd come in hungover to lunch on Sunday. He would come in with the church crowd with his jacket and tie. He'd just come in from church. I'd make fun of him behind his back. But he was the guy I called. Told him what was going on in my life. He started talking to me about Jesus. I said, well, show me more. Showed me Jesus in the Old Testament. I gave my life to Christ. Um, And things started to change. Slowly but unmistakably, the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, started to change who I was. And I'm not the same person that I was before. I've got a contentment and a peace and a sense of authority about my life that would never have been possible outside of Christ. Um, and, and again, that's why I love men's ministry because when I was broken and hurting and so filled with myself and my own thought and how great I thought I was and I showed up at church and David Wallach just lovingly just put his arm around me and for years met with me and other men as well and I just started to see what a godly man looks like. That's why I love what you guys are doing here. You know, the teaching's good, you remember some, forget others, but you'll remember the, the men that, have, that God's used to impact your life, right? So um, just moving, moving forward, um, I'm, I'm a new Christian, and I'm starting my golf career, and uh, I, I missed uh, the PGA, getting on the PGA Tour uh, that year. By the way, uh, in nine years of playing professional golf, I was called the leading money spender on tour, so that was my claim to fame, okay? Uh, the other guys were always glad I was there because I meant there was more money for them, right? So I went to Asia. I played 11 countries in 12 weeks. It was the Asian tour, 11 national, really fun, uh, 11 different national opens. And, uh, but I made a commitment to myself. There were 40 other Americans that went over, and I made a commitment. I said, you know what? I'm not going to go out with these guys. I'm not going to go do the things they might do out, you know, you could imagine what might go on. I'm just going to do my golf, and I'm going to stay in my hotel and... I had two companions for three months in Asia. I had the Word of God, and I had the Holy Spirit. And he transformed me. transformed me. I was over there for three months, and I just fell so in love with God's Word, I couldn't read enough of it. David, you're joking around about, uh, you know, reading the book of Genesis in one sitting. I would read Genesis, get up and get something to drink, sit down and read Exodus. I love God's Word. I would read it all day long. I was in Hong Kong. It was the 11th week of 12 weeks. I did not play well. I missed most of the cuts. I was really discouraged. And I made the cut in Hong Kong, which means I played Thursday, Friday, and I was in the top 60, which meant I was going to get paid on Sunday, something, which I needed to get paid, you know, so I was happy I made the cut, but it was really difficult. I was young, halfway around the world, I'm new to my faith in Jesus, and we would go from the city, get on a bus, and the players would take the bus out to the golf course. And on that bus, I prayed a prayer, I said, God, I'm so discouraged, I'm halfway around the world, I've made a commitment to follow Jesus, and things aren't going at all the way I thought they were supposed to go. And, and I'm really discouraged. I just need something good to happen today. And, of course, in my mind, I was thinking I'd love to make a hole-in-one on the fifth hole because if you made a hole-in-one, you want a Jaguar, you know, was one of those things, you know. <laughs> so, so I get to the course, and, I, you know, I warm up. I get, you know, locker room. I go down to the driving range, and I'm right next to this, this golfer from Spain. His name was Severiano Ballesteros. If you, don't, if you know golf, you know that name. If you don't know golf, he was the Tiger Woods of that day. The most dynamic and exciting. You'd rather watch him walk through the parking lot than watch other guys play golf. This guy was, you couldn't take your eyes off him. He was an incredible golfer. I hit balls right next to him. Me and Sevi warming up together. It's like, man, it's so cool. 1,000 people behind us because they wanted to see me warm up, I think. <laughs> right? Right? So I go to the first tee, and Sevi's in the group behind me, which, you know, so I'm going to play the one group in front of him. So those 1,000 people are now all around the first tee waiting for Sevy. I hit my drive, my playing partner hits, and off we go. And this one American guy in this crowd of 1,000 people pops out of the crowd and starts following my group. So I'm thinking, oh, he just wants to get out in front, get a better view of Seve. And he follows us to the first green. He follows us on the second hole. Third hole, we hit our tee shots. He's still following us. 999 people back here following Seve. One American guy following my group. So I walk along the gallery ropes, and I just kidded with him. I said, hey, you're missing all the action. The good guys are behind us. He just stopped. He looked me right in the eye. He didn't smile. He said, son, let me tell you something. He said, I'm a missionary from New Jersey. And uh, he said, tomorrow I'm taking Bibles to mainland China. Um, He said, but I love golf, so I came out today to to watch the tournament. And he said, when I saw you on the driving range warming up, the Spirit of God told me to pray for you. He said, I want you to know I'm going to walk with your group all day, and I'm praying for you all day. That's amazing. Like that happened in my life. Like, I'm a brand-new believer committed to Jesus. I pray that prayer on the bus. It's amazing. I was at a PGA Tour event later uh, that year or maybe the next year, and they have a Bible study every week. I thought that would be a fun story to tell. I told that story, and one of my friends, so I won't tell you his name, um, when I told that story, he said, well, I know why the guy wanted to pray for you. He said, when he saw your swing on the range, he knew you were going to need help, right? So, So that's the kind of stuff that was happening. I played on a lot of small tours um, and I'm growing with Jesus and I'm walking with other men. Doug Weaver was a man that that mentored me. I don't have time to tell all these stories. I wish I did because God, through other godly men, uh, has shaped my walk with Jesus. They've helped me to see who I am in Christ. Um, and, And if I can impart anything to all of you, it would be to give you a crystal clear picture of who you are in Jesus. Because when you understand who God's made you to be and what Jesus has done for you, and what it means to have the Holy Spirit in your life, you walk different, you talk different, you have purpose and peace and authority every day of your life. And that's what Jesus came to give us. So I'm playing a small tour, the Hooters tour. Yes, yes, that one. Can I say that, David? Is that okay? All right. Yes, that's the place, right? So Hooters restaurants sponsored the, the tour, and they'd be out there every week, and I won't go there, but we had a Bible study, and I led the Bible study. I love to teach, and, and I would, I would uh, you know do the Bible study, and I would put a sign up every week to let the players know, hey, it's going to be at the Holiday Inn at this room. And So I was putting the sign up in Jackson, Mississippi, at Jackson Country Club, and I'm putting it up in the pro shop, and this lady who's a member, probably 65 years old, walking by in a little golf outfit, and she sees me putting up the sign, and she stops, and she looks, and she looks at me, and she says, Hooters? Bible study. (laughs) She goes, well, honey, what's the cry aware? So that was what it was like, but I was growing and God was growing me dynamically. Um, And so anyway, I I finished with the golf. I got into, um, oh, can I tell you one more quick golf story? One more quick golf story because God did so many amazing things. Um, 1993, I got paired with Gary Nicholas in a four-day event and um, make this story shorter than I'd like to. Uh, his dad, Jack, came out to caddy for him. So at 36 holes, Thursday and Friday, with me and, and uh, Gary Nicholas and Charlie Reimer was the third guy in the group. And uh, Jack Nicholas caddied my group for 36 holes, my hero. Here he was, and I'm a believer, and I'm growing in my faith, and this was amazing. And, and so, um, well, I, I just won't tell you all the stories. It was incredible. I got to talk with him all the way around. 13th hole, I, I hit my second shot into the greenside bunker in the sand, and then I hit it out of the sand. And the way it works is your caddy rakes the sand print, the footprints and all So my caddy's raking the sand and I'm up at the green and I pick my ball up. And your ball's always got grass stains and so your caddy will clean it. But my caddy's in the bunker, so I'm gonna clean up my pocket, which is kind of what you do. But Jack is walking past me on the green. He's got his son's bag, he's got a towel, part of it's wet. And he sees that I'm about to clean my ball. So Jack Nicholas takes my ball out of my hand and cleans it with his towel. And then he looks at me and I must have been drooling, because I was like, (laughs) you know, because I'm thinking like Jack Nicholas is cleaning my ball. You know, this is not right, right? And so he winked at me. He must have been like, hey Ralph, you're drooling a little bit. You know, he winked at me. And he handed me the ball and he took three steps, and I really did this. I can't believe I did it. But I looked at it and I said, hey, and he turned around, I said, You missed a spot, and I threw it to him. (laughs) And as I threw it to him, I was like, What am I doing? you know? But the, the point of that story is to say that God spoke to me really profoundly because I called all my friends and said, man, I just spent two days with Jack Nicklaus. This was amazing. And here's the thing. Like, when you have a caddy, you know, they assist you around the golf course. The golf course we played, by the way, was the golf course that Jack Nicklaus designed. So we knew every inch of the course, and he was caddying first. And I just got this little kind of aha moment where, you know what? Ralph, as a young believer, you're, you're studying my word. You're trying to understand what it means to have a Holy Spirit in your life. Understand, the Holy Spirit's not your assistant in life, but there was an analogy there for the me as I was growing and understanding what it meant to have the Holy Spirit in my life, that the Holy Spirit comes alongside to assist you. And you know what? He's designed the course. And he knows more about life than you're ever going to accumulate in a thousand lifetimes. And all you have to do is trust him and walk with him, and he'll show you the way to go. And then the other thing you have as a golfer is your yardage book. And God was speaking to me in that season of my life. He's like, Ralph, you got the two things you need. You've got the yardage book, which is the word of God. And you've got the Holy Spirit, which is not a caddy, but in, in, in the analogy, he's right there with you to assist you, and he knows the right way to go. Right, so this was how I was growing dynamically, and I'm going to go on too long. I'm going I'm to figure out how to tie this up pretty quick here. I went into ministry uh, after nine years of spending too much money playing golf, and God completely transformed me. And... Um, so, I've been in ministry in parachurch and churches. I lived in China for four years. I, I can't tell you those stories, but I'll tell you this living with Jesus, if you allow it to be, is the adventure of a lifetime. Amen. When you say yes to Jesus, the hair will blow back. You'll be out in the front of the boat just like a puppy dog at Christmas or whatever. I mean, it's just like there's nothing like following Jesus. We lived in China for four years. We were ready to live and die in China. We had no exit strategy to come back. Um, I was teaching golf in Beijing and uh, the place where I was teaching, I taught with a Chinese company for four years. It had gone really well. In September 2013, the owner came to me and said, we're selling the driving range. Your last lesson is November 30th. Mm. I don't have a plan B, and Jim was a big part of this uh, back when I went to China, Um, and I should have been freaked out, but I've been walking with Jesus long enough. I wasn't I was at peace. I went, I did my due diligence. I started going other places, looking for another place to teach. Nothing was working out. And uh, three weeks after that, I got an email from a guy named Don Cousins, lead pastor at Discovery Church, who I didn't know. I had been in a meeting or two with Don, but I didn't know him. he had come to Discovery after I had left Orlando. And he said, hey, can we get on the phone? Long story short, he said, here's the deal. The opening for the central campus pastor of Discovery Church here in Orlando has come open. He said, everybody's telling me that uh, I should offer you the job. So here's the deal. If you're willing to come back from China, um, you know, we're offering you the job. We're not even going to post a job. It's yours. And it starts December 1st. It's amazing. I, I could stand here for way longer than you guys want to sit and tell you these stories. God's faithful. And living with Jesus is the adventure of a lifetime. And i got to do this really quick. I want to honor the time. Here's the last thing I'm going to say. Uh, I told you the story about getting arrested. Um, my high school golf coach at that time was an anchor in my life. He wasn't a Christian, but he was a godly man. You know what I mean? And matter of fact, when I got arrested, he called my house that next day, and he said, Ralph, I want you to understand t- something. Sometimes uh, you can hate the sin and love the sinner. And he said, I don't like what you did, but I love you, and I'm going to walk with you, and I'm going to get you through this. And he, not my dad, but he, stood beside me, my coach, Tony Gamboli. When I came to faith in Jesus, I prayed for Tony Gamboli for 12 years. And I got to lead him to faith in Jesus. Can't tell you the story. It was amazing. But I tell you that to tell my last really quick story. He ran a golf fundraising event uh, for high school kids in New York, 250 people in my hometown every year. And after he got saved, he called me. He said, Ralph, uh, you need to come up and you need to tell everybody at the event about Jesus. And you got to understand, like, this isn't a Christian event. This is like beer and hot dogs at 7.30 in the morning, double shotgun, dinner at 7 at night, you know, that kind of thing. I was like, Coach, are you sure? He said, yeah. So I went up. Again, long story short, Ralph, short. Um, Yeah, yeah, right. I I get there, and um, I'm really nervous. And so just before I'm going to talk, this is my hometown. come back to my hometown and tell people about Jesus, how much I've changed. And uh, I walk outside about 50 yards away from the banquet hall, and it's dark, and I'm standing there, and the building silhouetted, and I'm praying. I said, God, is there anything else you want me to share other than what I've got prepared? And I'm just praying. And I just pray this prayer. I do this. I said, God, is there anything you want to say to me? And in my spirit, I felt like God said, yeah, there's something I want to say to you. Here we've got to understand. I'm looking at the building, and it hits me. This is the place where I got arrested 23 years earlier. <laughs> it's the same spot. I'm standing there looking at that black staircase that I had walked up and stolen all those golf balls in my hometown. It's happening right there. And I felt like God said, yeah, Ralph, i got something to say to you. He said, in this place where you had your greatest moral failure, in this place where you lied and you stole and you cheated, I have brought you back to share about my grace in your life. And I'll tell you what, guys, those things change you, transform you. transforms you and I walked in there and I told people about Jesus and what a difference he's made in my life uh, and so, so all that to say and to, to wrap it up I really appreciate uh, the time you know what, what's my conclusion it's the same as Solomon and uh, you guys will get to this maybe in two months but here's Ecclesiastes 12 13 fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man right, my, my, my advice to you is humble yourself before God and make it a point to understand who you are according to what God's Word says is true about you. When you come to faith in Jesus, you're a new person. You've got a purpose and a destiny and a strength, and God intends for His glory to shine through your life. Men, we need you in Wintermere and Okoe and Winter Garden and beyond, wherever you are. We need you. God's got it covered, but He invites us to be part of the story. Our families need us. Our communities need us. Our workplace needs us. And it needs us to be Jesus with skin on. And when you get an image of who you are in him, the whole ball game changes. Somewhere in the midst of my story, from a night in prison to the masters to falling on my knees to invite Jesus into my life, somewhere between there and here, transformation. Transformation, right? So I encourage you guys, if you know Jesus, man, keep walking. If you're hiding something, find some, some safe man to talk to about it. Because the, the burden that was lifted off my shoulders that night God knew I was carrying that shame. For all those years, I was carrying that shame. And God said, you don't have to carry it anymore. Tonight it's done. And he just gave me a way to put an exclamation point and say it's done. Guys, if you're carrying something, find somebody safe. Make peace with it. Confess it to God. Get it behind you. Leave it. You don't have to pick it up again. If you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I hope this has encouraged you to pursue what it means to receive a God who loves you. You have sinned. It does separate you. You do have a problem, but Jesus is your answer. You come to faith in Him. So I'm going to stop before I start preaching. David, thank you so much.